0: Okay, let's welcome uh, Pastor Tammy swanson Dreheim to be with us. Thank you so much. Thank you to the worship team who's really, truly led us in worship this morning. And thank you, Pastor John. And I'm so sorry to have missed Pastor Lynn this particular trip, but I do celebrate with you Thank you, church, for making space for her gifts and for her ministry. Um, Nothing has changed in Lynn, of course, but what ordination stands for is just the affirmation of the entire church recognizing her giftedness and her call and so um, I celebrate with her in absentia this week (laughs) but I will get to see her soon you may not know Pastor Lynn and Pastor John are pretty prolific across the conference and even the covenant they uh, Pastor John didn't mention it but he is also serving as the chair of the ministerial association right now so, uh, they have kind of their fingerprints in a lot of places, and we are all the richer for that. So, uh, grateful to be here again with you. Um, I also appreciate mentioning my husband Kelly, as many of you have met him, and he loved to come with me when he could when I was preaching or visiting a church. And uh, last time we were here, right before the shutdown, so the last church that I visited and we did it together and spent a wonderful lunch with a lot of your leaders and uh, it's very been a difficult and a trying season to lose the person who's been my biggest cheerleader, my best friend, um, my most wonderful partner in ministry and life and uh, I just wanna thank you. Thank you for praying for me and my family during this time. I know you've done that. Thank you for the ways you've extended love and care. And most of all, I want to say to you this morning, God is so good. God is good. He is good all the time. And I have experienced his blessing through this journey, and I just want to give testimony to that. I am so grateful to God. So um, let me just try that with you. God is good all all the time. And sometimes we got to say that to be reminded of that, right? I mean, I get that. So um, I also should say I am the proud grandparent of three grandchildren. Need to know that about me. I usually mention that when I come, six-year-old, four-year-old, soon to be two-year-old, and one more on the way, December 5th. So I'm so excited. That's such a huge part of my life. And Y'all need to know, if you're a grandparent here, how significant you are in the life of your grandkids. And I'd say the same to parents, and I would say the same to anyone who comes alongside children and youth. Thank you for that work. It is so, so important, investing in the lives of children and youth. And so um, I take my job seriously as a grandparent. I know I, my grandparents were wonderful, faith-filled people. And I was raised in a church that loved me well with lots of parents and grandparents around kind of a community to, to help raise me. So I love the church and just uh, love and am so appreciative of being with you today. So I'm just going to pray. Dawn, that was the most beautiful prayer. Thank you so much. And I just want to release right now and say, oh, gracious God, I thank you for who you are, for who you are in our lives. I thank you for this time now that you might speak to us. I pray that it would be your voice and not mine that speaks into the hearts and minds of each person here, translating my feeble words into power and strength that comes through your living word. And so, God, I just pray less of me and more of you. In Christ's name, amen. So my text this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a Bible with and want to read along or just want to check on your device and read along, uh, I'm going to read you from verses 3 through 14, this beautiful doxology here. So. who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Thanks be to God for his word. So... The book of Ephesians is a letter to a city in Ephesus, a church in Ephesus. It takes considerable care, Paul does in this letter, to paint this picture of who we are in Christ and what it is that means for us. And I'm excited to spend time here in this first chapter where Paul starts right out of the gate here with this kind of what I call an explosive prayer of thanksgiving, Now, there's an interesting piece of trivia here. The first verses that I read to you, actually verses 3 to 14, in the Greek language, which is the original language the Bible was written in, is one long, extraordinarily long, run-on sentence, Of course, it's not obvious in our versions because there's been periods put in and paragraph breaks and so forth to make it a little bit easier to read. But in its original form, there are over 200 consecutive words with no comma, no period, no semicolon, no question mark. I mean, it is crazy. 200 plus words without punctuation makes for one very long run-on sentence. Do I have any teachers in the room? Amen? Now contrary to what I just said, I actually think there is more than just a piece of trivia here. Here's what I think. I think as Paul starts this letter explaining what it is that God has done for us in Jesus and how blessed we are and covering all of salvation history from before God created the earth until the future when all things in in heaven and on earth are brought together under Christ. As he's declaring this, he is simply so exuberant that he can't come up long enough to put in the punctuation. That's my philosophy or my, my thinking. There is a ton to learn here from this text. It is so rich. It is so beautiful. We're just going to have time to scratch the surface. I encourage you to go home and read it for yourself this afternoon. But what I want us to do is take, a note, is take notice of the tone in which Paul delivers it. So keep in mind, first of all, that Paul wrote this after he had been a Christian for almost years. 30 years, 30 years earlier he had that profound Damascus Road experience. Since then he had been teaching the Bible, he'd planted churches, he'd been in prison, he'd navigated arguments in the church. I think he actually started a few arguments in the church. He settled matters of racial inequality, he gave honor to the place of men and women to use their full gifting in the church. I don't know if he argued over things like the color of the carpet or what instruments played in worship, though I highly doubt It, but I do know he had been preaching and teaching and leading a gospel movement for 30 years when he wrote this. So it was not new news to him. In fact, it was old news to him, but oh, it was such very, very good news. And so as Paul starts this letter with this 200 plus word broad brushstroke summary of what God has done for us in Jesus, he is so ridiculously ecstatic, he can't slow down long enough to take his breath. And so I want to give you kind of my paraphrase of what I just read. If I may, we'll call this the Tammy paraphrase. This is how I envision it happening in my head when Paul initially delivered this. Paul saying here, Listen. I don't have time for commas or periods or semicolons because I am still so overwhelmed with the never-ending, reckless love of a God who would send His only Son to die for me and to raise Him from the dead, so that in Him I have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That God chose me before He spun the earth on its axis, before He flung the stars into the universe. I graced His holy imagination, and He said, "You're mine." He chose me. He predestined me to be adopted as his child and he's included me in the family of God where I have an inheritance that far exceeds anything I could possibly imagine this side of heaven and I know I've got it coming because it's been signed sealed and delivered by the Holy Spirit who is the down payment of all that is to come for all of God's adopted children to God be the glory (laughs) is that good news church (laughs) amen And so I want to ask us this morning, are we this excited about Jesus? Could we make this not a rhetorical question, by the way, church? Thank you for speaking back to me. Are we this excited about Jesus? Paul, (laughs) thank you, Paul was a follower of Jesus for 30 years. He still couldn't catch his breath because he was in awe of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if some of us this morning, fingers pointing at me, some of us who grew up in the church, some of us who have maybe been leaders in the church, some of us who teach every Sunday, etc., if some of us need to be reminded from time to time about the enormity of who Jesus is and this, the, the magnitude of the good news. So what I want to do in these remaining minutes is to dig out some of what it is that has the Apostle Paul so excited about here in these verses. i got to be clear, we are just barely going to touch the surface here because this is such a rich passage. I would call this the motherlode of spiritual blessings, if you will. And we only have time to go searching for a few nuggets this morning. So nugget number one, right out of the gate. He chose you. Verse 4 says he chose you before the creation of the world. Now I don't know about you but when I was growing up I remember this sort of dysfunctional playground activity. I won't tell you how many decades ago that was, but I hope it's not still happening. Um, but you'd go out on the on the playground and they'd decide to have team sports and what would they do? They'd pick a couple of captains and then those captains would start picking players one by one back and forth on either side and And they'd start with the best of course until they got down to those who were the most athletically challenged, right? And always resulted in these embarrassing moments. I mean, especially if you were one of those people who was habitually chosen last, man, you dreaded this exercise. Some of you in this room know what I'm talking about, right? And I said last service when people didn't respond, Okay, there's a bunch of athletic types in here, clearly, because I certainly know what that feels like. But here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. You need to know that the captain of all creation, before he even created the world, he knew your name, and he called you out, and he said, I pick you. You're mine. I want you on my team. And here's the reality. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, is that long before you chose to follow him, he chose you. Long before he, you ever decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus, he decided to pick you. Being chosen before creation. It has everything to do with the value that he places on us. And by that I mean every single human being created in the image of God. It has nothing to do with God arbitrarily choosing some people and leaving others out, which is really good news. Because there may be some of you here who at one point or another, maybe even now, have felt overlooked. Maybe you've never been chosen for that sports team, or maybe you've been looked over for that promotion at work, or perhaps you're not in the in crowd at school or at work. Dare I say even sometimes that can happen in the church. Maybe you've had a hard time making friends. You're not the one who gets invited to every party, been excluded, called names. Maybe you've been labeled, felt isolated, alone, discounted, unchosen. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus coming through in Ephesians 1. Listen, my child, I chose you. I picked you. You are valuable, and I want you on my team. Before the foundation of the world, I chose you. Amen, church? Nugget number two, you have been adopted into God's family. Verse five tells us that long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family. He predestined us for adoption. So let me share a little uh, adoption story with you, an illustration about a nurse named Shayla. It was a Friday night, and Shayla was working in the maternity ward. She hadn't worked there for months, actually. It wasn't her normal place of service, but. Uh, Earlier in the day, one of the nurses had called in sick, and she agreed to go in. and, And it was her job that evening to care for a woman who was in labor who would be giving birth that evening. Well, most likely. Who knows? You can't really predict that. And while she was talking with this woman about the baby that was soon to be born, she learned a couple things. A, she was giving birth two weeks early, and B, she was planning to give her baby up for adoption. Later, when Shayla went on break, she called her husband and told him about the situation. You see, Shayla and her husband had dreamed about one day adopting a child, and they had two boys, ages six and seven, that they'd had naturally, but the doctor had told them they could not have any more, and so they were hoping one day that they could complete their family through adoption. That evening, the pregnant woman delivered a healthy baby. It created a stir across the maternity ward, a lot of speculation, what's going to happen to this baby? And, And Shayla got off duty at the end of the night, and she could not stop thinking about that baby. And she got home, she and her husband were talking about the baby late into the night. It was a crazy conversation about completely unattainable things, but yet the excitement within them was robbing them of their sleep. And so the next morning, Shayla decided to call the doctor's office, even though it was a Saturday and she felt like, well, you know, no one's going to be there, I'm just going to go ahead and try. Anyway, the receptionist answered the phone And within an hour, the doctor who had attended to the delivery called her back. And he said to her, you know, the birth uh, mom's doctor is on vacation and we just haven't been able to reach him. And uh, so then he said this to her, since you're the first one to ask and get your foot in the door, if you want to start the legal paperwork, you can take the baby home. So on Monday morning, after a frantic weekend of shopping for baby clothes and diapers and all the things you need because they had absolutely nothing, that baby was set in Shayla's arms, and she just cried. She just just wept with joy. And if you haven't already figured it out, that baby was me. I am that child. Yeah, thank you. And I consider my adoption, my whole adoption story, nothing short of a miraculous convergence of extraordinary God-orchestrated events. I'm so grateful to God for loving parents who opened their heart and their home and gave me a family, a beautiful family. I've always understood this to be an incredible and gracious gift. It's been foundational for my understanding as the much-loved daughter of Winston and Shayla Swanson. And maybe even more so, as the lavishly and extravagantly loved child of God. And friends, this is our story. Our stories, every one of them, are a miraculous convergence of extraordinary God-orchestrated events that have led to our identity as children of God, adopted into His family. One of my favorite verses in scripture, 1 John 3, 1, is so simple, but see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I remember saying to my brothers growing up, both of them, as I said, born naturally to my parents, mom and dad had to keep you, they're stuck with you, but they chose me. (laughs) I don't know what life I was... Saved out of when I was adopted, it may have been tragic. It may not have been, I don't know, but I do know the life that I was invited into and blessed with. And the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus saves us from something, from our sins, from our own folly, from some mundane existence, although he does that and that's good news, but it's also that he invites us into his family, gives us an inheritance, and in every way treats us as his dearly beloved children And that is great news, friends. We could spend a lifetime mining the depths of the meaning of our adoption. We'd only be scratching the surface, but I want to give you a couple of thoughts this morning. If you are a son or daughter of God, it means you have unrestricted, unhindered access to God as your father. Now, by way of illustration, here's what I mean. When my children were young and they needed something in the middle of the night, I came running. When my children got a little older and maybe they were away at grade school and some need came up, you better believe I was on it immediately. When my kids became teenagers and they wanted to just talk, (laughs) you better believe I stopped to listen. And when my grown children call me today, you know what? I'm pretty much going to take that call no matter what I'm doing. Don't even get me going on my grandkids. Why? Because they're my kids and I love them. I delight in hearing from them. And I just love it when I have contact with them. Verse 5 tells us you've been adopted. It means you have unrestricted, unhindered access to a God who is your father, who loves to hear from you, who delights in you. Now, I always know when I'm talking to a group of any size that some of you may have had a rocky relationship with your dad. Some of you may not have felt a whole lot of love from your father, and some of you are sitting here and you've had really great dads who have modeled the love of Christ for you. Regardless of your earthly father, what I want you to hear this morning is the voice of a God who delights in you, who says, you can call me dad, you can call me anytime, I will be your father, I have chosen you and I have adopted you into my family. And here's another thing. If you're an adopted son or daughter of God, not only do you get unrestricted, unhindered access to God the Father who delights in you, you get a family. When I was adopted, I got more than just a relationship with my parents. I got adopted into a family. And I remember how excited they were when I was coming home. And my brothers were in school right down the street. And they rushed home on lunch hour. They could not wait to meet this new baby sister. And my parents said they ran into the door and then just kind of stood there paralyzed like a deer in the headlights, not knowing what to do. And finally, my older brother reached out and kind of ran his hand up and down my arm as if to see if I was actually real. You see, I didn't just get parents out of the deal. I got a beautiful family, and we belong to one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this about the Christian family. He said, we belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. This should impact Everything when I think of God's family, it is so much bigger than my beautiful little family of origin, right? It's so much bigger than even the, the countryside covenant church family, right? It's bigger than the covenant family all around the world. It is. People all around the world from every nation, tribe, people, and language, anyone who calls God Father and knows Jesus its Son. And it means we need to care about the things that happen to the rest of the family. When one of our brothers or sisters rejoices, we rejoice with them. When one of them is suffering, we come alongside them and we experience sorrow with them. We need to care for each other. When our Hindustani covenant church in India is suffering from the rampages of COVID, for example, We need to care when some of our brothers and sisters living right here lack opportunities that others of us take for granted. We need to care when women and children are trafficked to satisfy the most evil desires of broken humanity. We need to care when Christians around the world are persecuted, mistreated, imprisoned, run out of their countries. We need to care when brothers and sisters of color tell us about their experiences and the wounds that have been inflicted or when we see it in the news, we need to care because the family of God transcends the color of our skin the country of our origin the language we speak God said it that makes it so and Ephesians tells us that one day according to God's good pleasure which he purposed in Christ when the times are at their fulfillment he's going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ to the praise of his glory and Revelation 7 paints just that picture of all God's family from every nation people and language gathered around the throne of God praising him in the heavenly realms and i'm saying to you i think that is going to be the best family reunion ever <laughs> No wonder Paul was so exuberant. We get a family with all the blessings and of course all the responsibilities too that come with that. You are a family here, brothers and sisters of Countryside Covenant Church. You're part of the greater covenant family and our family extends to Christ followers all around the globe and it has been God's plan all along to pull this diverse family together both those in heaven and those on earth to bring unity under christ and we have the privilege of aligning our hearts with god's heart in this area and with his purposes and don't we often pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we get the privilege of participating with him to accomplish that in the here and now because We already belong to each other. To claim God as father is to claim all of God's children as our brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. Being adopted means you are a part of God's diverse family. And the third nugget and the last one I'll leave you with. Ephesians says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing chosen before the creation of the world, adopted into God's family, redeemed through the blood of Jesus, forgiven of our sins, lavished in the richness of God's grace, guaranteed an inheritance filled with the spirit of the living God for the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. You see that little phrase, the praise of his glory, three times in this passage. I think that's Paul saying, you better stand up and pay attention here, folks. Whenever we see references in Scripture to God's glory, it's talking about God being revealed. And where we see God being revealed, we see his glory, we see his power, and we see his presence. We experience it, and we can't help but praise him. Glory is all about revelation. God revealing his character as a loving God, a saving God, a God who chooses us, who values us, who delights in us, who adopts us into his family, But in our outburst of praise to God's goodness, Paul kind of turns this on its side, and he says, we who are in Christ are for the praise of his glory. That means we who are in Christ have the wonderful opportunity to reveal Christ to a watching world. Now, in verse 4, it says he chose us before the creation of the world to live holy and blameless lives before God, which makes sense because we're for the praise of his glory. I mean, whatever else the church is, we must be a community of changed people. We have to look different than the world around us. Our primary residence, our primary citizenship, if you will, is in the kingdom of God. And we need to take our identity cues from there and not from the toxic divisive me first dehumanizing devaluing rhetoric of the politicized world in which we live today our primary identity is not as republican or democrat or libertarian or independent or whatever we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven where someday we're going to stand beside people in fact we're going to worship beside people and some of them are going to be people who here on earth had different ideas than we did we are called to live in alignment with God's plans and his purposes which is to bring all things in heaven on earth under Christ so that we who are in Christ in that way we may be for the praise of his glory that's the point now we are chosen by God for the praise of his glory we are adopted by God for the praise of his glory We are put in a diverse family for the praise of his glory so that we'll participate in God's plan to make Christ known. And the beauty of our life being incorporated into the life of Christ, a people chosen, adopted, loved, redeemed, reconciled, is that God would be praised. To God be the glory. So when we ponder that question I asked at the outset Are we excited about Jesus' church? Can we respond to, are we excited about Jesus' church? (laughs) Yeah. It is my prayer, dear Countryside Covenant family, that you will grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ to know this love that surpasses knowledge, this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, so much so that his love spills out of you and pours into the lives of those around you. And to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We give you all the glory for all that's transpired here this morning. It is only because of the work of your Holy Spirit that this has not fallen on deaf ears but has been enlivened in the hearts and the minds of your people. Thank you for the good news that we have been chosen by you before the earth was even formed, that we've been adopted by you and set into a beautiful family, and that we have the opportunity to be bringing glory to your name. May that be so, Lord. May it be so. In Christ's name and all the church said, amen. Amen.